Hi, welcome to Scattered. We're a group of friends from the same church who are serving God in different countries and we're meeting online to chat through books of the Bible, chapter by chapter. We'd love you to join us. Hi everybody, welcome to Scattered. I am joined today by Juliet, who's somewhere tropical still, I do believe, and by Mary, who is in the UK. Um, Lovely for you to join us and hello ladies. Um, we finished last week at the end of chapter six and the wall had been completed. So controversially, Henry has omitted chapter seven, which we have strong views on in Scattered. But when I read up on that, I appreciated that chapter seven is basically a repeat of Ezra chapter two. So we're going to let Henry off for missing out a chapter of scripture because it's a list of all the people that returned. Pretty much. Yeah, we don't want chapter two again. <laughs> <laughs> so if Mary's given permission, then that's okay. So um, would one of you be happy to summarise? We're going to look at chapters eight and nine today. Would one of you be happy to summarise for us chapter eight? Sure. So the people are um, gathered and, uh, yeah, the list before sort of names them all and uh, this is significant because the wall has just been completed and now the focus is turned to the people. And so the the people are gathered and the law is read to the people. And um, they start actually uh, when the law, when the word is being read to them, they start by weeping, but then they are told, actually, no, this is not the time for weeping. This is the time to rejoice as this is a renewal of their relationship with God. And so the people rejoice in what they hear. And, and then this section ends with the people keeping the Feast of Booths. And we, I think we touched on this um, previously and just this act of remembrance and doing the Feast of Booths was to remember them living in the wilderness before and God's faithfulness to the people. Thanks, Juliet. That's great. So all the way through chapter eight, there's a massive focus on God's word. What are the different ways that we see in this chapter that the word of God is at work? OK, so we see quite a few ways, I think. So my list goes. So the word causes worship. Uh, it causes weeping. It causes joy. It causes obedience and it causes uh, celebration or gladness so you, like we see this kind of through the passage um, so like verses 6 uh, verse 6 we see like the people react so Ezra's been reading I think for six hours is that right like that's a long time I mean I when feel I first... like when I give bad feedback to Jumpy about the sermon being too long I'm like oh I never have to sit for six hours yeah my concentration span is about Three minutes so I was going to give you six my... minutes Mary but that's not that's too long is it <laughs> my um I feel like this was a spiritual thing going on right like the, the Holy Spirit must have been at work in this because for the people of Israel God's people to sit there for six hours must have been like you know sometimes you listen to a sermon and it feels really like quick because you're just so full of the spirit and just so much enjoying it it must have been like that um so yeah they worship in verse six um and then but by whoops, 
but by verse nine, they're weeping, I guess, in... What do you think, Juliet? Do you think that was in kind of realisation of how they've not been keeping this law or what? Mm, yeah, that's what I read, that they were being uh, corrected or like the law was examining their hearts and they felt like there was a, yeah, a problem there. It's weird though, isn't it, that Ezra is then like, well, Ezra and the Levites are like, don't weep because this day, this is verse nine, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. So then they're kind of encouraged actually, even though the law is kind of stirred in them, a kind of repentance, I guess, or a kind of realization of their sin. Um, they're like rejoice because actually, you know, verse 10, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, send portions to those for whom nothing is repaired for this day is holy to the Lord. Do not sorrow for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So it, yeah, it's quite a contrast, isn't it? Yeah, I feel like um, quite often, like we'll see in these two chapters, actually a lot of what they're doing is what, it's a collective joy and they're, I guess they're wanting to celebrate together and share this moment together. And they're all hearing the word together and in obedience and wanting to uh, give their lives to God. And that he's wanting at this moment for them to collectively all together be rejoicing. Mm. Yeah, okay, let, let's talk about that. Because that whole idea of you've got to be sad or you've got to be happy it feels a little bit prescriptive to us doesn't it I guess like you said Mary they they feel that repentance and yet they're told not to be sad is what what do you think that's about why do you think that's necessary yeah it's challenging isn't it to how much are we united with each other as the body of Christ because we're told you know, to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And actually together as, um, yeah, it's how in sync are we with each other? I think that's quite a big challenge to us. Like how, um, yeah, how are we not just looking to our own needs, but the needs of the community? And I think there's some of that that has been happening. I've, you know, seen through, um different moment, moments in St. Clement's life where there's been collective sadness and then also some moments of collective rejoicing when baptisms happen and you know joyful things worth celebrating happen together as a church community and I think that's like yeah just a beautiful image of us all being together and united as one yeah, I kind of, it reminded me of that verse in um, Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, where it talks about sorrowful yet always rejoicing. I feel like it, and there's it's, it's part of a long list of um, basically um, what Paul has been going through as, as a servant of God. And I kind of feel it, yeah, we, even though we have this great joy, in knowing God and that God has made a relationship with us and we have hope and we have heaven to come. And yet also we are sorrowful, aren't we, at our sin and what we've done and the state of the world and life is hard to be a servant of God. It's hard, really hard at times. 
Um, and it's really like this juxtaposition, isn't it, of the Christian life? Like we can't um, always say I'm completely happy or I'm completely sad. I think it's good that the Bible kind of commands us to to rejoice um, because I think sometimes we need that because sometimes we just don't feel like rejoicing. Um, and so like this reminder that, yes, things are rubbish, but we have a great hope um, and a wonderful God. I mean, we're going to see in the next chapter some of the, uh, who God is. And I guess we always have reason to rejoice, even when things are really sucky. And I, I guess I wonder if it's part of the reason why in the Old Testament, there were set festival days where the people were called <laughs> to remember specific aspects of their salvation and specific things that God had done to help their hearts rejoice in that. And I think we... We've moved away from that, haven't we, often in our churches. But, you know, there's something about having the church year where we celebrate Easter at a set time and we Lent, you know, is a time to um, reflect on our sin and then the joy of Easter. And, you know, yeah, I just think that God knows that we need help, doesn't he, to remember the right things. And actually we need that full spread of emotion that's not just about how our particular lives are going. And so, yeah, initially I read that and I thought that's quite jarring, telling them not to be sad over their sin. But, yeah, I think actually we need to be called, don't we, to remember God's goodness because we're so forgetful of it. Yeah, God's people in the Old Testament are really good at remembering, aren't they? Like, partly, I think, well, mostly because God commanded them so many times to remember. And they used to do things like... I've been watching The Chosen and I was struck by they touch something on the way out of their door when they go out and they have things like they have tassels and sometimes they're wearing things on their heads and they have all these feast days and we're not actually that great at doing that. Like we kind of see it as pres prescriptive and legalistic, don't we, to do those kind of things. But then actually sometimes they're really helpful. Yeah, true fact. Yeah, I guess God knows our hearts, doesn't he? And so he prescribes for our forgetfulness. Um. Yeah, anything else, just going back to different ways that God's words at work in this. Mary, I liked your list. Julia, anything to add to that? I feel like the the bowing their heads, well, they, they initially they stood up to hear the word um, and that was like a sign of respect. And then Ooh. afterwards they respond, responded, amen, amen and lifted up their hands and bowed their heads and worshiped the, the Lord with their faces to the ground. And that was a real, I think in the things I read, it was like an outward sign of inward humility and um, awareness of um, who God is. And yeah, just a humbling of their, their um, themselves before God. I was also struck by just the practical different ways that God's word was taught. So, you know, there's that massive long reading of the word and anybody that was anybody that could understand was there, men, women and some children, I think. So that's the first section. But then down in verse seven, you then get teachers going in amongst the people to explain it to them. So, you know, there's a response when God's word is just read because like Mary said, the spirit falls and there's power in God's word, isn't there? But it's not left there. There's then teachers that go in amongst them and explain to them. Um, and then I guess we see um, in verse 13, 
the sort of fathers are gathered to have some more detailed teaching so that they're able to go and teach their families and their um their little communities so just even within that section i was just like they they are creative aren't they at working at different ways to help people understand god's word and apply it um yeah what about just how is that encouraging to us in our life and our ministry about the power of god's word yeah i think it's so significant how much it's valued and revered and it and they clearly want all people to understand it um and not only that like they that them taking the time to train the leaders and it showed that actually the leaders not only did the word with the word impact them themselves but actually it would have a wider impact once the leaders go and share with the others that that would impact those people as well so that was the importance of um them having that deeper training um so that it would not just impact them but those people around them and also like i think i was struck by you know when i think personally not just in ministry but like when we go and hear the word like whatever context that context that is so you know in sermons on sunday or in small groups or just personal bible studies or whatever um it does you know there is a it calls for a response doesn't it like it's not just a hearing it's an understanding here um it causes worship it causes um self-reflection all of these things and then also action you know they they read this section and they're like gosh we haven't been celebrating the feast of booths since uh joshua's time that's really rubbish let's go and do it and then they go and do it um and i just think you know sunday mornings at church and bible study groups and things are meant to be times when we're like oh like i i need to do this in my life like i need this to change or that to change um i think you know i don't think we're meant to just have a really good warm feeling after a sermon always like obviously god wants us to experience him and love him deeper and stuff but yeah i think the kind of that hand in hand with it changing our lives in real ways tangible ways is really important I think it talks in the New Testament, doesn't it, about the word being like a mirror that we hold up to our lives. And yeah, what we see in there often needs to change, doesn't it, in line with God's word. Mm. Yeah, I agree, Mary. So the Feast of Booths, they start to celebrate. And that specifically is a call to remember their Exodus wanderings, isn't it? And they are, in case people don't know, the Feast of Booths is where they build like outdoor shelters and they live in these shelters for seven days to remember the time that they wandered through the wilderness. And it's interesting, isn't it, that each on each of those seven days, they're reading the word of God as well. So it's not just that they're having a camping trip, but that is also full of God's word as they're out in their little tents. Um, mm. That call to remember then that we see clearly here how does that translate into the New Testament and what um, what tools does God encourage us to use to remember? So Jesus says to his disciples um, to remember him by practicing, you know, the breaking of bread and uh, drinking of wine, which are his body and blood. And he tells us to do do that to remember him. And so... 
as in regular healthy church life. We want to be doing that together as a sign of remembrance. Um, but as we mentioned earlier, also just the practice of celebrating Christmas and Easter as a church family, that's quite a significant time when we remember both his birth, like the waiting for the longed Messiah, and we do that through Advent, and then, um, yeah, the remembrance and lead up to Easter, which we look at during Lent. Like those are really like collective times when we can, yeah, remember all that he's done together. I think as well, like we, I think what we do, um, the better we are at kind of remembering in the small, the better we are at remembering in the big. Like I kind of think when we are day to day doing acts of remembrance, like I love, I love the way the, the Jews wake up in the morning and they say this special prayer, even as they wake up. Um, but just simple things like saying grace and praying together as a family, praying together with your husband, um, you know, teaching your children on a day to day basis what God has done and pointing things out on a day to day basis. Like, isn't God kind to have done that or reminding each other and and daily kind of remembrance of God and thankfulness towards God, I think, is can then be reflected corporately as we come together to do that. Yeah, we did it when we were in lockdown. We did a really great thing in my community group that we'd start each Zoom Bible study with something that we were thankful for. And that, you know, it just trains your heart, doesn't it? To be looking for, oh, what's my thankfulness going to be this week? Like I'm, my eyes are trained to look for God's goodness. Mm. Um, Because just naturally we're negative, aren't we? Often. Yeah. Um, Okay, let's move on to chapter nine. Mary, are you okay to summarize that for us? Yeah, so on the 24th day, uh, so everybody's fasting and they're wearing sackcloth and ashes and things. Um, and they come together for some like corporate confession. So the Israelites, the Israelites separate themselves. Um, they come together and they confess their sins. That's verse two. And then kind of for the rest of that chapter, um, so they they read from the book of the law again and confess and worship. I think that's important that those two go together. Um, and then there's this like really long prayer to God. Um, and basically it's um, it's a real back and forth between the story of God's faithfulness to his people um, and then kind of how his people have been in response. And I guess their rebellion um and so yeah it's kind of in chunks there's like a chunk of god did this god was this and then there's a chunk of then the israelites did this and they were like this and then it's like god was and it's always solidly yeah god is faithful and the people rebel um and then at the end of that chapter at the end of chapter nine um there's this in verse 38 this we're going to make a covenant so so because of all this it says we're going to make a sure covenant and write it so there's this desire for the people looking back on all of that to come again to God and kind of renew and make this covenant with him great Mary thank you so yeah you've touched on that pattern that repeats all the way through this prayer um what is the encouragement in that pattern? John Piper told me that there's six, it happens six times as this cycle um, where we hear about what God's like and then we hear about the response. Um, yeah, what are the encouragements, would you say, in that repeated 
cycle. Like John Piper also said, this is this is a thousand years of history that they're going over. So this is a th- a, a cycle that's repeated for a thousand years. So yeah, oh what are the encouragements in the cycle. That God keeps forgiving <laughs> and his mercy and patience is like just incredible. <laughs> yeah. Because they keep, it's just a cycle of them falling into sin again after seeing some amazing deliverance. And so it's like, it's quite heartbreaking to see them having to go through those cycles. Yet we see um, God's mercy and his desire to forgive and his desire to keep covenant with the people as well. I love the words that are used for God, like all the way through. Mm. I think it's a good exercise to kind of go through and pick out the ways that like what it says about who God is and what he's done, like merc- merciful, patience, he's deliverer, he's righteous, provider, sustainer, and he does not forsake. There's this kind of, I don't think that's just once, I think it's more than one, like God, he doesn't forsake his people. And like, that's just so beautiful, isn't it? Like for our own hearts as well, because obviously we tend to be more like the Israelites, stiff necked, rebellious, um, sinful, proud, doing evil um and you know it's no wonder they feel in need to make a covenant with this god who again and again is so loving and kind and uh, he does not forsake them yeah my summary almost was like rebellion and mercy you know it's like that's the cycle isn't it again and again they rebel god shows them mercy they come back they rebel God shows them mercy. And yeah, it it's quite humbling, isn't it? When, like you said, Mary, because we're in the rebellious side of this um cycle rather than God's side. Um, do we do we find it easy to face that about ourselves? Yeah, really easy. I love it. <laughs> No, we're like we're like Paul in Romans, like this wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from my sin, basically, and then a reminder of Jesus <laughs> in constant repeat. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, like Mary's hinted at at the end of the chapter, they're then like, okay, we're going to make a covenant, we're going to change, we're going to keep God's laws. As we read that on this thousand year loop what what how are we left feeling about their commitment to their covenant i wrote uh when i wrote this question down i wrote underneath ha ha cynical <laughs> response mary well <laughs> well we kind of know the rest of the story don't we so you know uh, yeah we I I think human nature, unfortunately, and displayed in in God's people here, we, I feel pretty cynical about this, um, this covenant they're doing. (laughs) But like we looked at the other week, this is the, the last, historically, this is the last book in the Old Testament, isn't it? And so... It, it's quite a depressing end to the book, isn't it, in some ways? That sort of sets us up for, for Jesus. <laughs> Yeah, who, you know, we aren't forsaken, but he was on the cross. Um, and, yeah, he p- paid a great price 
to rescue us. And that that was the fulfillment of the whole covenant that they were um that they had that he that God had with Abraham and um yeah it just shows his faithfulness and his faithfulness yet now to keep forgiving us and yeah so I guess in terms of having confidence in the Israelites like zero but confidence in God having reflected on this chapter like a hundred and we know that he's gonna come through for his people um because yeah we've got we know that Jesus came um and made this beautiful new covenant and and died for all of that sin like you know just seeing it laid out there in this chapter like the again and again like six cycles it's so depressing isn't it but it's a, it's a real reflection of of our world and our own hearts and yet you know the covenant is fulfilled in Jesus and we we just have to look to him it's like that you know um that thing about him holding up this the snake and us just having to look at it because we're so helpless um but we we look to Jesus in our helplessness and he does everything and yeah I guess like it's here to to remind us of our unfaithfulness as well because we are so much like the Israelites we we have the good news of Jesus yet we still are prone to look to other things for our hope and for our reputation, for all these different needs that we have. We look in other places, yet we know that those things can only be found in, in Jesus. And yet we just need that constant reminder, just like the Israelites did, meeting together, hearing the word and being reminded of his goodness. The new covenant, I guess, promises us, doesn't it, that day when there'll be no more sinning, and we'll be delivered from this body of death, like this this frustrated, I want to do this, but yeah, I can't. And I guess, yeah, that's what Jesus' death has brought for us, isn't it? That promise that one day we'll be delivered from this. And um, yeah, Jesus has paid the price to enable us to enter heaven where we'll be freed from our sinful bodies and our, um, yeah, the sinful nature that fell. Um, yeah, I guess that's the... Yeah, that's the hope, isn't it, ultimately? I think verse 33 is a summary, really, isn't it? Like, you adjust, however, you adjust in all that has befallen us, for you have dealt faithfully, but we have done wickedly. And I think that's a picture of the cross, isn't it? Like, um, you know, where that is it a song lyric, lyric that says, where love and justice meet. And I think, you know, God's justice means that our rebellion should separate us from him forever um and yet he yeah he took all of that on the cross and did faithfully to the you know to the extent of shedding his blood and dying like that's how faithful he is um when we are remembering you know trying it shouldn't be like an effort should it to remember who god is every day when he's done that yeah, and it just this whole chapter reminded me of, I did a Bible overview a few years ago, and the teacher, who sadly has died now, used to say after every book in the Old Testament, you're left longing for Jesus, aren't you? And, you, you know, then you the pages of the New Testament open, and you're like, hooray for Jesus, because the Old Testament is this such a depressing cycle that we can't break without um, help from outside of our 
um world praise god mm. that this came yeah um thanks so much ladies controversially we're looking at chapter 13 next week so um deal, you can deal with your anger about the missing chapters in the week and we will see you all next week to look at the last study in Nehemiah, which is going to be chapter 13. See you soon. Bye. Bye.